again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We're pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. We are taught this week by lead teacher Randy Pope. Thank you for joining us today. I think we'd all... I think everybody here, I don't care what your background, I bet you all would agree that we're a broken people, right? One of the things I love about what we call the Reformed faith, going back to the Reformers that uh, came out of the uh, hundreds of years ago that came out to say, we believe in the Word of God as it's always been taught and so forth and so on. Uh, One of the primary teachings that said had to be brought back was the teaching that we are fully a broken people, and we are. The reality is that the different ones of us, uh, some more, some less, understand our brokenness. Nobody, I mean not one of us, fully comprehends our brokenness. Not at all. If we could see how broken we really are, uh, we would be somewhat devastated, certainly outside the work of God's grace. But the truth of it is, to the degree we see how much we are broken people, we crave God all the more. As God's Word says, those who are forgiven little, love little. When you see how broken we are and how much we have to be forgiven for, man, the love just goes, goes beyond what it would ever be otherwise. And that's the beauty of understanding our brokenness. But because none of us understand our brokenness to the degree that we should, God gives us this beautiful thing called the law. We're in a series on the law. We call it the lovable law because it's so important for all of us. What this lovable law does in part is it just shines a light on our own sin so that we see how broken we are and it causes us then to go to Christ. And until we see Christ, it's a tutor to take us there as Galatians says. So it's a beautiful law and then that law stands ready to say, this is the delight of the one you love the one that you want to to please in every respect, not to earn the favor of of Christ, but because you have the favor of Christ. And so this law will point you to what delights his heart. And why does it delight his heart? Because it's an expression of his beauty and his love, but also because to the degree we do follow it with the right motives, we find the pain of our brokenness all the better. It's a way that we don't have to see the consequences of our brokenness in so many ways otherwise we would. So it's a very important topic. This week we're in commandment number seven. It's so brief, but we'll put it up. It's in verse 14. It reads like this. You shall not commit adultery. Now, you know, it wouldn't take a long time to teach that, would it? It sounds like it's saying you shall not commit adultery. And I think that's what it does say. All you got to do is figure out what adultery is, and I think most of us know what adultery is. Well, maybe not, because we think of adultery, we think of extramarital sex. That is, but it's more than that. So if you really want to have the the verse taught in a, a more complex way, complete way, add to it what we'll cover next week, and that would be premarital sex. And it would be imaginary sex. And I'll make a little petition to parents. You've got kids that go to different places during this time or whatever. You may want to bring them in. If they're old enough to comprehend, you want them here. 
you want to hear because this is important. You talking about a time where our kids will believe that the norm and the expected and the appropriate is to have premarital sex and imaginary sex, who doesn't have their little instrument to look at at any moment? Who isn't enthralled with what they can imagine? And isn't sex something that is so large today that, oh my goodness, we'll include imagination with sex. And it'll, do, it'll give a buzz and it'll, it'll be what kids love. So why not hear why God says no? Not just that he says no, but why? That's what we're going to do this week. We're going to be talking about extramarital sex. Do you know many, 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 certainly our young people, but, but so many of us uh, maybe adhere too much to the thinking of a Mark Twain. Mark Twain railed God and to use his words for parceling out to each human a source of unusual joy and pleasure, then forbidding it until marriage, and then restricting it to one person. Like, why would God do that? You don't think our young people, many of us here today are saying, I get the same thing. Why? I don't get it. Why? What's the big deal? Well, it is a big deal, and we're going to see why. Now, two realities, just to kind of lay the foundation. Hopefully, you all know this. One, sex is good. Number two, Christians are to be pro-sex. Now, I understand that if you're a victim of inappropriate abuse, the abuses of sex, I know that for you to hear sex is good, we should be pro-sex, just drives such a painful stake in your heart. And you go, I can't even imagine. And we, and we hurt for you because there are many, many of us here that have experienced some tragic experiences in this realm. And we understand why you'd say, I could never feel that it's good. I'd encourage you, hold on to the truth and know that it is. And we're going to be praying for you and talking at the end of the service. But let me just say that it is good. God gave us, gave us sex uh, for procreation, certainly, but also for pleasure. Uh, the story of the beginning of this comes in Genesis 2, and we read beginning in verse 22, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Now, this verse we often read without understanding the, the energy that probably this would be said with. We read it, and the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You know what? I, I'm sure. I mean, it's, it's almost like a Oh, hey, madam. I'm Adam. You know, good to see you. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess we're together now. No, 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 no. No, it would be, this is now bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. Wow. And it goes on to say, and he should be called woman because she was taken out of the man and the man and his wife were both naked. They weren't ashamed. Sex is good. We're in a broken world, and so sex is going to be broken. It's not going to be perfect to the ideal. It's going to be abused and misused in so many ways as we are too aware of already. The reality is, though, it is good. It's been distorted in so many different forms. And to protect it, God says, I want you to have, I want you to have a life as free 
from this unnecessary pain that, that comes from the abuse of this good thing sex that I am going to restrict abuses with giving it consequences that are extreme if you violate. And so, we find out in Leviticus 20, verse 10, this is what it says. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. That seems extreme, uh, extreme, doesn't it? But you know, the truth of it is, God is saying, hey, if I give you life and you take life from someone, then I want life to be taken from the person who has murdered that individual. And he says the reality is that the life of marriage, that is two people coming together, being violated and broken because of someone's sin, he says that is the death of marriage and there should be the death of people at that point. Now you gotta understand, this is a law that God gave to his people, Israel, as they are a theocracy once the nations are brought about by God in the blessing and Christ is given all. Once there's the nation, you have a king and you have the kingdoms different ways that come after that, the theocracy. Now, the laws begin to change according to the rule of the people God has placed over the lands. And so, though we don't experience that today and say, well, we don't expect somebody to be and shouldn't be, just know this, that's God's thought about what happens in adultery. It's that serious. Well, why does he do that? Is it because he's so mad because we come along and do something that he said is so important that we shouldn't violate and we do it and he said, therefore, I'm going to get you? No, no, no. It's because he sees the pain that some of us here understand in such an extreme way. And he says, I don't want you to experience the injustice that comes with the pain that it brings. I don't want that. So he says, no, can't, can't do that. Now, we're going to look this morning at extramarital sex. That'll be number one, and we'll only look at that. Let's see if we can't get a little bit of a handle on this one. I'm going to just very quickly, uh, there's not much to teach what does it mean. You know what it means. But I'd like to go a little further, and particularly for our young people, but for all of us, to kind of get in the, into the understanding of, of the why. Why does God treat this with such strictness and say this is a law and you cannot take it and use it as you please? Why not believe what Mark Twain railed God for? Let me give you four just quick, very quick reasons, and they will be quick. Number one, because sex is designed as a tool for building a marriage while adultery uses sex to destroy a marriage and someone else's marriage. Keep in mind, it's not just two people. It's those that are already married to the ones who commit adultery and what happens in their life. It's a protection for them as well. You see, marriage is a relationship of trust. It's a relationship of vulnerability. It's a, it's a relationship of loyalty. Uh, it's so good. In fact, Genesis 2.24, it says that, that when two people come together in marriage, they become one flesh. One flesh. That's how special this thing called marriage is. And, and when you understand that sex is, is given to make that oneness all the stronger, it's, it's taking the physical limit to the ultimate to say, we are each other's. We are one. 
And when that's violated, it's devastating. The pain is just devastating. And so he says, this thing is designed for good. Don't abuse it. Don't use it in that way. Do you know that in the book that many of you maybe have read in years past, it's a bit dated now, but it's a great book, The, uh, the Day American Told the Truth. Do you know that uh, their surveys show that a third of Americans have either had or are having affairs? That 62% think there's no real problem with having an affair. Adultery is, it's not that wrong, it's not that bad, I, I, I think it's okay. It's the common mindset. Now, what if you took the younger generation today and asked them, I wonder what the percentages would be? Unbelievable. See, this is not just a problem among those that are the, the, uh, in the athletic world or the entertainment world or the business world. It's the clergy world. I was talking to one of our teaching pastors from this church who's gone on now to plant otherwise. And he said that in one week, seven days, he had heard of five clergymen who had fallen to adultery in just seven days. I mean, this is a problem for all. So God gives the reason, hey, no, think about marriage, how good it is and why it's so appropriate. And, and this thing is an aid to marriage. I don't want to lose that. Number two, number two, adultery betrays a covenantal oath. So then we ask the question, well, what's the big deal about marriage? You know, young people are asking this today. Why not just live together? At least, you know, it, it's a, if you make a, a commitment that you, love, you care for each other, then, then why not just live together and don't do the marriage thing? Did you know that the majority of people who end up living together outside of marriage, either one or both parties in the majority of the cases end up saying, we want marriage. I want marriage. Well, what's the difference? You live together then, you live together now. You, you care for each other then, you care for each other now. What's the difference? There's only one difference. You know what it is? It's an oath. An oath is the ultimate of binding a loyalty that is very important for people. They want to know that there's a promise. That's why you've got the next commandment that's going to be thou shalt not lie. Because it's so important to get someone's word and to know I can trust you. This is the ultimate trust relationship. It is that important. Respect, loyalty, devotion, all of that. When violated, devastating pain. Not so much before the oath, but after the oath, all the more. Because it's a covenant. We have no clue the beauty of covenant. You know, God's Word is all built together on covenants. It's all the covenant between God. We were designed for covenant that we live together in covenant community, the church, covenant community in marriage, the family, covenants. They're so important. And the violation of a covenant, it, deep, it hurts all the more deeply. Number three, number three, adultery betrays an innocent spouse. God doesn't want to see those innocent spouses. And when I say innocent, it's not that in marriage there's, there's no problem with one party, everything's perfect. But in terms of of the issues that would give right to a biblical divorce, there is the innocent party so often. You know, I had a lady come up to me last night after the service, and she said, I've lived 20 years with my husband who has had an affair constantly, and I, I certainly would not divorce him because I did not want to be an adulteress, and I, I listened, and I said, what? 
And he says, now, now my husband, after 20 years, he divorces me. And now here I am, an, an adulteress, and, I'm, and I have to live with the, the shame of the sin that I've committed. I looked at her and I said, no, 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 no. You have biblical grounds for you could have divorced him 20 years ago. And you wouldn't be held the adulteress. Not if you've been faithful to him, as you've said. No. It doesn't mean that if you, if you are a victim and your spouse has committed adultery that, oh, you have to divorce them. Not at all. We got stories in this church where they didn't, and God has mentioned that at the end. No, we have stories of that. But you have every right and reason to do so. If you choose, that's the rest route. And so, please understand that when I talk about the innocent spouse. It's not that we don't have our own struggles, you know, but the spouse that deserts the family, that has an affair, they break the covenant at that point. If that spouse wants that, that is their right before God to do so. But it does betray an innocent spouse. It shatters self-esteem. I watched my mother. Many of you know she died in December, but my, my mother didn't really die in December. She died nearly 50 years ago. I watched her when my father had an adulterous relationship and left our family. She died then. I don't say that now. I've said it for 44, five, six years, however long it's been. I've said it ever since. I said, my mother's dying right now. My mother's dying right now. My mother's dying. You're not dying physically, but her soul, man, it's dying. Oh, let me tell you, it, it so betrays an innocent spouse. Number four, adultery destroys a family, often impacting future generations. Uh, it really impacts. You know, when I hear this, I've heard this so many times, and particularly as a, a child of divorce, I, I have to kind of stand up and say, oh, you know, this would be the best for our children. We're going to divorce and be best for the kids. I don't buy that. It'll be easier in some respects, but do you understand the pain and affliction that comes, and then add to that when it comes because of adultery? Well, let me tell you. No, we don't want to say, oh, it's, it's no big deal. No, 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 no. I can say that based on God's Word. The God's Word says, now, be sure that the sins of the Father are visited on to the second and third generation, the third and fourth generation, meaning that, oh, no, there are, there is a, there's consequences that that the next generation is bare because of the sin of our parents. You know, my father committed adultery, but my grandfather, his father, committed adultery too. And when, when I realize I'm coming along as a, uh, as a child of adultery, I realize, hey, how has this impacted me? I can tell you one way, insecurities. I know I have insecurities. I know I have insecurities that have to do with what happened in my family. It impacts future generations. I know that. And I have to live in light of those insecurities and try to navigate with them and to try to deal with them appropriately, biblically. I'd rather I didn't have those insecurities. But they're there. I know that. Number two, I, I have not lived with my mother because I was already in college when, when it happened. But I'll tell you this, I've long, lived alongside my mother for these many, many years. And Carol and I have talked about it how many times Carol say, what would life be like if your father had never committed adultery? 
And we just think, oh my goodness, how much better? How much better? You tell me that doesn't bring consequences? I'll tell you another one it brings. See, because of the generational sin that I live under, I also know that I'm a high risk for adultery. I've said that throughout my ministry. I always say, your child of an alcoholic doesn't mean you're going to be an alcoholic, by no means. But you're high risk, and you have to take cautions and precautions that others may not need to take, but you better be very, very super, super careful. You better pray real hard. You better watch. You better. And I've had to do that all my life. I know that. Carol and I had broken up for a, a season thinking it might be over for, forever, and I started dating another girl. And, and as we started the relationship, I found out that she was the child of an adulterous father. And before it got going anywhere, I stopped and I said, you know what? There'd be nothing wrong with us pursuing a, a relationship together. But I'll tell you this right now. I'm a high risk and you're a high risk. If something were ever happened and we ended up together, if this thing led somewhere, let me tell you, we become a compounded high risk. And there's nothing wrong with that. Not anything wrong with it. But you know what? I'm just not one that likes to take high risks. Not in something like this. And so I thought it best not. When Carol and I found that when I sensed this is the right relationship, I, before and right when I asked her to marry me, I said, you need to know this. I am a high risk. You're not. You come from a solid Christian family, loving parents and so forth. So I'm not taking any risk to marry you, but you're taking a big risk in marrying me. So I want you to think through this before there's a, yes, let's go do it. Don't do it because you just want to now. Think about it in the long term. Do you want to do that, knowing what it brings in my broken family situation? So the reality is we want to believe this, that, hey, it does. It destroys families. That nuclear family that's together destroys it, and then future generations, they get impacted. All another reason that God says, hey, I care about you, my creation. I want to protect you. Don't see my laws as restricting you. It's protecting you. I just want our people here to always see God's law as God's goodness because of his wonderful love with which he's loved us. Now, I'd like to close our time by addressing three people groups among us. It won't cover everyone necessarily, but most to some degree. First of all, marrieds who have never betrayed their oath or their spouse. All I say is affair proof your marriage. You got to keep thinking it can happen to anybody. I learned that very well years ago when I was a a younger pastor, and I say younger as if I'm young now, I was a young pastor then. <laughs> and, and one of my role models and, and heroes that I knew, uh, but not extremely well, but I just from afar particularly and had an opportunity to be with him, a man named Gordon McDonald. Many of you read some of his books. Uh, Gordon McDonald had written a book on family and marriage, and he was, the, he was the guy we all looked to, you know, in so many respects. And then to the shock of the world, he announces he's stepping down from his church because he had an affair, a one-night stand. Nevertheless, he broke covenant with his wife and had a relationship with someone else. Now, he went through the appropriate channels of discipline. He, he agreed with the authorities over him, and he stepped out of ministry for several years, and he worked in reconciliation, and his wife was gracious to the point, believing it would be the right thing to come back together and so forth. And the first time he ever spoke to a public group, I happened to be invited to be a part of a group. And he, with his wife alongside, told the story of what happened about two years prior. It was the first time anyone heard this story. 
And he said, I want you to know, I cannot point a finger at any circumstance, anybody, anything for what I did. It is my sin. I don't want you to hear otherwise, but I want you to know, I've observed through these couple of years the environments that I've been living in. Some I had no choice about, others I chose unwisely to allow to be a part of my environments. And he walked through a list, it must have been seven, eight, nine, I don't know how many, of the environments. I remember a few of them and I began to think, what are the environments that I see? Here are the environments that I would suggest, and don't feel you need to write these down. If you want to go to our podcast, all this will be on, on the podcast when it comes. But I would suggest, number one, not one in order of importance, but one would be parental problems, low self-esteem, number two. Number three, destabilized life situations, marital conflict, isolation, diminished spiritual disciplines, unusual spiritual warfare. Those are just environments. If there are two, three, or four of those around, I'd say be careful. Fight. Fight right now as if there's one incoming. Here comes right now. Could explode any time in our marriage. And fight in the defense of your marriage. Let me give you a second recommendation. Number two, keep your spiritual pilgrimage progressing. Number three, discipline your eye to look straight ahead. Oh, when you see, I'm getting to... Pull those eyes away. Love to talk more how to do that. Number four, distance yourself from relationships which could lead to the temptation of adultery. And I say, please be careful, business people. Watch out when you have that business dinner, that business lunch, and the opposite sex, you're together, you're flying together, have to go somewhere as a part of a team, and da-da-da-da-da. Let me tell you, you do everything you can. You do everything you can to watch out. I'm not just talking about for the people who are, are the, oh, these are the shady people. I got to be careful. You know, sometimes it's the, it's the everything but that. They're people that are very appropriate to be with otherwise, but you have an attraction toward them. Or you find out they may have an attraction toward you. You want to be careful. Careful, careful, careful. Next, keep your activities pure. Six, Surround yourself with two or three accountable friends. Journey groups are great for this, but it's people that know how to ask hard questions, challenge bad behaviors, but then particularly that can find the sin beneath the sin. They can help you discover why is it that you're having these troubles. Number seven, work at strengthening your relationship with your spouse. All those are very important. Let me, let me just say a word to a second group, and that's those involved in an adulterous relationship right now. Wouldn't it be interesting if we knew, just had a register that God could just put up the number and we'd see how many adulterous relationships are going on right now. Don't be naive to think, oh, there are none in a, in a Christian church like this. Oh, no, there are. I know I'm speaking to people right now. You're the only one that knows that you're having this relationship. I'm going to say to you, confess it as sin and repent. And you know repentance is coming back to the open arms of a loving father and saying, your love is good enough. Because when you say, I've got to have an adulterous relationship to satisfy my need, you're saying, Jesus, you alone can't do it. I've got to go outside your permission and you is my sole means to find what I need. So uh, confess it as sin, 
put an end to it. And when I say put an end to it, uh, don't discuss putting an end to it. Announce its termination. And then I would say as well, seek help. Get counsel. I'm going to suggest on that first place, confess it too. I'm going to say confess it to God, certainly. You confess it to your spouse. I know there are many Christians that will say today, oh, you don't, what they don't know won't hurt them and just keep it. No, no, no. What they don't know will hurt them. Ultimately, I will tell you, you do want to, as hard as it may be, even though it may even bring a divorce, you owe it to them. And for the best of a possibility future, you're going to want that. So, counsel, just counsel. Third group, those struggling through the consequences of a past moral failure, maybe yours or maybe your spouse's moral failure and you're struggling with the consequences. Let me tell you, if you're the, the victim of their adultery, you remember this. You remember this. God is your spouse, just like the singles. You gotta be thinking, I, I'm not left alone. I'm not alone. And I'm certainly not the one who is responsible, therefore, I have to take the guilt. Now, if there's sins that urged them, that caused them to look otherwise, so yeah, confess it to the Lord. Same thing. But let me tell you, you're loved by your Father. And He'll be special to you. Important to know that. But those that have committed the adultery themselves, and now you're living with the issues of the past, if you're repentant, you are forgiven. You know that? You're, you're totally forgiven. As I said last week, you got to know this. God is not disappointed in you if you're a child of God. Even for adultery, it's not the unpardonable sin. He is not disappointed in you. He is disappointed for you. He want, you're covered by the blood of Christ if you're a Christian. If you're not, that's what you want is say, God, I'll never get out from this mess. You cover me with your love and come into his open arms. That's how you find what you're looking for. Just know this, that it can be restored. You can find restoration in your heart and in, even in relationships. We've got numbers of stories in this church of people who have had adulterous relationship by one part or the other that now have a wonderful marriage, that are living together in harmony. And they'll tell you it takes time, but it's possible. And if you sit there and say, I'm in a marriage right now that I think is impossible, it can never be good. I'm in a broken relationship, and now we're apart. It can't. Let me tell you, anything is possible with God. Don't ever forget that. It is possible. And you just be in the heart of God's will, seeking, seeking what he would have for you. And just remember, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. You matter to God. So the whole gospel story here, the reality of the good news, well, God says, hey, do not commit adultery. We know what we're to do. Why would we not commit adultery? Oh, I understand that it's going to be better for me not to commit adultery. And it is. It's going to be better for other people. And it is. But let me tell you, why do I do it? I don't forbid myself of adultery so that God will love me. No, I would forbid it because he loves me, but not in order that he would love me. How? How do you, how do you not violate this? And particularly when we get to imaginary sex and, 
and premarital sex and all the pressures that are on our young folks today and everything else. Uh, how in the world? It's by the power of God's Spirit. That's why I keep saying you've got to bend the knee. I did it today. I have to do it every day. God, I surrender now. In light of what you've done in my heart, I now give you my body, my hands, my mouth, my feet, my mind, my heart, every aspect. I've got to surrender to you. And now, in light of that, may I know your power. Would you come in and allow me to have the power to obey a law that you love so much? That's the how. Let me tell you, you're loved by God. Christian, leave here remembering the law is lovable. And I hope you see this seventh commandment in a different way forever. And you say, thank you, God, for restricting something that can bring so much pain to me and the people I love. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this lovable law. And we pray that regardless of what we thought coming in, that we might now say, you're good to restrict us in this area. Oh, God, protect our children. Protect our grandchildren. Protect our own marriages here. And we might find that you're enough for all of us. And we want to embrace you as such. Thank you for being a forgiving God and taking care of your own. We thank you and we pray this in the strong name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.